1 Corinthians 15. And then I'm going to read one scripture in Ephesians 2 and Galatians 2. But we're going to start with 1 Corinthians. Let's pray over the word of God. Father, I thank you tonight for the time to come. Break open the bread of life. I just pray, Lord, that you would minister to this congregation tonight. Lord, let us be built up and encouraged. Let us be instructed. Let us be taught. Lord, exhorted, reproved, rebuked if need be. God, corrected, chastened from the Word of God because we are your children. And God, we want you to teach us. We want you to father us. We don't want to be illegitimate, but we have a father. And we want to hear what you have to say to us. Speak to us tonight, Lord. Anoint these lips of clay. Help me, God, to speak to the congregation and speak to the hearts by the anointing. Let it come forth and touch us. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 says this. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Yeah, yeah. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Ephesians 2. Verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And then in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, just a few pages to your left, it says, and the Apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Thank the Lord. Because if we come out, it's not anything nice. Amen. You're not nice, I'm not nice. But Christ is nice. Amen. But he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This goes along with the scripture, and I didn't put it uh, out there, but in uh, Romans chapter 12 where he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. Um, We're dead, but we're alive. We have to be dead to ourselves, but alive to Christ and let Christ live within us. You know, I just entitled this tonight, Don't Let the Corruptible Change the Nature of Christ in You. Don't let the corruptible change the nature of Christ in you. I want to share with you that just this past several months, maybe three or three months or so, I, I get down to pray and, 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 and sometimes I'm so broken when I'm praying and the Lord just begins to speak things to me. And if I don't write them down right away, I'll forget them. But he has been giving me some really tremendous, powerful thoughts. And the Holy Ghost knows what's going on in our life. He knows what's going on in our life. He knows what's going on in our church. And he knows what we need to hear. So this is definitely ordained of God. I didn't get it out of a sermon book. I didn't hear somebody else preach it. 
I, you know, this is something that God gave me. So I just want to say to you that if I say things tonight, don't say, did somebody tell him? Nobody told me but the Holy Ghost. Okay? But I want to kind of preach and teach. I like to do that on Thursday nights. But I entitled this, Don't Let the Corruptible Change the Nature of Christ in You. It's a long title, but it sums up my message. It capsulizes it. You know, I want to share with you, years ago, my dad told me a story how that my grandfather, who was um, actually not serving God at this time, he was a younger uh, uh, young man, but he, he had a restaurant in St. Louis, Missouri, and in his restaurant, he, you know, it was, he fed people, and of course, what do what they do in restaurants, and, you know, and uh, I, I remember my dad telling me that one time there was a homeless man, really, he was a, he was an alcoholic, and uh, he would stumble into my grandpa's restaurant, and he'd ask for something to eat, and my grandpa, one time, he told him, he said, uh, Charlie, he said, uh, you know, he said, if you want me to feed you, he said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to ask you to help me. He said, so I want you to clean the tables and I want you to mop the floors and then I'll, I'll give you a, a bowl of beans. And uh, so he, he was agreed to that and he cleaned and, and he did that. And about 30 minutes he come over and my grandfather put him out a bowl of beans and he scarfed it down. He was so hungry. He hadn't eaten. And uh, he said, can I have some more, Gene? Uh, so my grandpa's name was Eugene. He said, Gene, can I have some more? So my grandpa, grandfather gave him another bowl of beans and he, he scarfed that down and he, he got to uh, finish with that. And he said, can I have one more bowl? I'm so hungry. And he was eating those beans up. He had three, probably three and a half bowls. He was through his fourth bowl, going through the fourth bowl. And he looked up at my grandfather. And I'm telling you the truth, this is not a joke. I'm not trying to be funny. But he said, Gene, he said, these beans aren't very good. And my grandfather said, it took you four bowls to figure that out. Now, I shared that with you because it's going gonna, it's gonna to actually help me to preach what I want to preach tonight. At one point, Charlie was helpless. At one point, he was desperate. He was hungry. He was dependent on my grandfather. And he was humble, and he was thankful to have what he had. But there came a point after three, almost four bowls here, that something changed and something shifted. And uh, he wasn't grateful anymore. He wasn't humble about it anymore. After a little while, he became disenchanted. And he became unthankful and he became ungrateful and even critical to my grandfather who blessed him and helped him at that time. What changed, just like with us in our spiritual life, what changes is that the old nature begins to surface. The corruptible begins to surface in our lives. See, we were redeemed with precious, incorruptible blood of Jesus Christ. It says it in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. He said, "You, we were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and of gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, the, the incorruptible blood, amen, the perfect blood, the spotless blood. And, you know, it was God's predetermined will and plan for us, the Bible says in Romans 8, 29, to be conformed to 
the image of Christ. He said he predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. We have a, had, have a corruptible nature about us, but we're, God's trying to conform us to an incorruptible nature, and he's purchased us with precious blood, but we're a work in progress throughout our life. He has sanctified us, but he's continuing to sanctify us. We are con- he's bought us and paid for us with, with, with his blood and we're purchased by his blood. That is a finished work. But I can tell you every day we get up, we're going to battle this flesh. We're going to fight against temptation. We're going to encounter the enemy every day we get up. In fact, it starts before you get up. And I just want to share with you that there's something that God's wanting to say to us tonight. Remember, he's doing this. He is sanctifying us. He's conforming us to his image while we still exist in the corruptible body and the corruptible world. It's Bible. Your body has not been redeemed yet. We don't have a new body yet. We haven't put on immortality yet. But in us, our spirit has been reborn. It's come alive. And so that's why the Holy Spirit is so critical to the sanctifying work in our lives. 1 Peter 1, 2 talks about that, how that we are sanctified. In fact, I want to read that to you because I want you to get the word. 1 Peter 1, 2 says that we are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So we are sanctified by His Spirit. You and I, that's why we must be in the presence of God. That's why you can stand in the worship service and the Spirit of God moves and people will come to the altar because the Holy Spirit is dealing with them about something or He's convicting them of something. And you should always know, don't ever feel like you can't come down here to this altar. This is a safe zone here. This is a sanctuary. You can always come to the altar. I don't care if I'm opening up in prayer, you can come to the altar. There's a liberty and a freedom here and we want to remain that way. We want it to remain that way. But we are required by, uh, we're talking about sanctification. And, and Christ did something powerful in us when he redeemed us. And when you got saved, if you didn't feel something, you didn't get nothing. But when you got something and you know that you've been born again, you've been changed. Amen? And, and so with that being said, the Holy Spirit begins to birth us and he begins to start the process of sanctifying us because we're in this corruptible body and in this fallen world. We are required to cooperate through submission and humility to the power of God's Spirit and His Word. Did you hear me? We are to cooperate with the Spirit of God. If you're fighting against the Spirit of God, you're not cooperating with the Spirit of God. If God convicts you about something, you need to obey what He's convicting you about and not fight Him on it. So when He tells you, I want you to pay your tithe, you need to do that. When he tells you you need to pay your taxes, you need to do that. Amen. When hey, praise the Lord, I didn't get no amens there. But Jesus said, come on now. Jesus said, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's. I know that they rob seriously. That's what IRS stands for. I rob seriously. But I can tell you this right now. Amen. If you will be obedient to God, God will bless you and honor you because of your obedience to his word. Praise God. But 
we are required to cooperate through submission and humility to the power of God's Spirit and His Word. This is how change comes. And we want to be changed, right? I don't know about you, but I want to be changed. And Christians should want to be changed and conformed into His image. And Jesus showed us the greatest example of this specifically concerning relationships. I'm telling you, God was all over this in my life. Concerning relationships. How we look at people, how we treat them, uh, does our judgment of others, because let's be real, we judge others. Ain't a person in here that doesn't. Does our judgment of others uh, become something that is corrupt or compassionate? Look, there's things you can see in somebody and you know you don't even have to make a judgment call, but you, you judge from what you see. But you don't have to be critical about it. You can be compassionate about it. That's what God wants us to be. He doesn't want us to be corruptible and let that corruption begin to bring up all kinds of thoughts of criticism. But, because even the, even the Bible, you know, says... Judge not lest you be judged. In other words, if you're, you're, every one of us has this in us. God gives us this ability to begin to uh, see and, 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 and make righteous judgment, okay? Or have righteous judgment and, and, and judge righteously. Even Jesus said that. But the moment that it becomes something that's wrong is whenever you begin to pass judgment on somebody and you don't show compassion to them when Christ has shown compassion to you. And grace to you. But how we look at people, how we treat them, does our judgment of others, you know, become corruption or a thing of compassion? And I'm not saying that we don't stand for truth. There's times that we need to speak up. There's times when God says, just be quiet. I will deal with them. Amen. It's not for you to say anything. But because... A lot of times we don't realize, but we have history with people and it reveals the true depth of our heart and character as time passes. What am I trying to say? The way you are with somebody when you first met them and 15 years later, what kind of relationship do you have with them? Things change. See, you were thankful whenever you first got that first bite of beans. But after three or four bowls of it, something changed. I knew the story would help. The old proverb is familiarity breeds contempt. You ever heard that before? Familiarity breeds contempt. That's why the people that you're closest to, that you're around all the time, you seem to a lot of times get in the most arguments with. For the Christian, it can breed corruption if we don't daily keep in check the fact that we should have to continue to show them grace and love and compassion. Grace, grace. Listen, the Holy Ghost will keep you in check. That's why we need the Holy Ghost. Amen. I say this because a change that causes your feelings or attitude or behavior to change towards others is not the nature and character of Christ. 
did he change towards you? No. So if we're going to be conformed to his image and we're going to be like Christ and we're going to have his nature and his character, we have to maintain a consistency in our life concerning how we treat people and how we look at them. And I'm talking about being real inside. His love is consistent. His love never changes. He's faithful. He's consistent. God has integrity. Christ has and He's the definition of integrity. Everything that is good and holy and wholesome and pure and righteous and a virtue is of God. He is the definition of it. That's where we get the very origin and the definition of all of these beautiful things. But time for us, and we're, 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 we're finite people, we're finite folks, but time has a way, especially in the church culture, to make us become hardened or offended or resentful towards people. And a lot of times, if not every time, it's rooted in unforgiveness. But that's why people leave churches when they shouldn't leave. There are times God moves people and that happens. I've been moved from two, three different churches in the last 33 years. I was in a church in Missouri. I was there for a year, the one I got born again in. And then God opened the door and he wanted to restore my relationship with my dad. So he brought me to California. I was with my dad three years, and then I was with Living Waters with Pastor Duke Downs for six years, and then God called me to pioneer this church in 2000, and here I am. But there was never a place that I left that I can say and look back and say that God did not move me. God did not move me, but there are people a lot of times that move when God didn't tell them to move, but because something changed, and we, we live in a culture right now, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a place where no, it's a culture where people are not planted in the house of the Lord like the Bible says they're supposed to be. Be planted in the house of the Lord and you'll flourish. You'll flourish. You know, I, I've told people, uh, even in their jobs and in everything in their life, if you don't stay somewhere long enough, you're never going to reap the blessing of being there in consistency. I had somebody actually say to me, you know, Pastor, because I listened to what you said. I said, praise God. I listened to what you said, and I stayed at my job long enough, and I got a promotion. I got a, an increase. I said, yes, because there's something uh, even in the spiritual and the natural, that if something begins to maintain roots, it becomes stronger, it becomes more fruitful. So bloom where you're planted. God moves people, I'm not saying he doesn't, but what I'm saying is sometimes people move, whether it's jobs or whether it's you know um, uh, churches or, or, or even marriages, when they need to stay. Well, amen. Hey, hey, time has a way, especially in the church or in life as a Christian, to make us become hardened or offended or resentful towards people, and it's rooted in unforgiveness. Resentment develops over time because corruption slipped in. Don't you just love this message tonight? Years ago, I was in church and there was somebody that 
you would have never known that they felt the way that they felt. But after several years of being in the church and in ministry, what they were finally came out. And I remember talking to a leader in the church, and they put it so perfectly. They said that was always there in their life. They had a vendetta, a vendetta. I said a resentment down deep inside that they never dealt with, okay? At one time, they started out, and they were cool with this person. But years down the road, everything changed, and and there was something down deep within them. I'm telling you, it's corruption, church. And it affects who you are. It affects how you minister. It affects how effective you are. And God is talking to us because He wants us to be authentic. He wants us to be pure in heart. And He wants us to have integrity in our inward, 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 inward heart. Remember your pastor's words. Listen. Eventually, love, grace, long-suffering are put to the test. When Becky started in, I said, Hey, Beck, don't get on my message now. But she was right. The Holy Ghost knows He's in... He's in, in unity here. We're in unity. And she began to say that. I thought, Lord, she's, she's starting to speak my message. But listen to what I'm saying to you. The love of God, the grace of God, the long-suffering that He's put inside of you that you have become as you become a Christian is going to be put to the test. Do you hear me? It's going to be put to the test. It's going to be put through the fire. It's going to be tried. It has to be for it to be known and purged and purified. We have to go through that to determine what's really down deep within us. Amen. You find out, am I really as humble as I think I am? Am I as pure as I think I am or holy as I think I am or submitted as I think I am? When really I I didn't realize I have an independent spirit. When God wants me to be submitted. You know, it's just all there. But I was reading, and this will qualify, but this is a very powerful uh, example that I'm going to give you from the Scripture. But Ezra chapter 8, and I'm not going to read it, but verses 24 through 30, when they were rebuilding the temple, the the, the, the king of Babylon or the king of, 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 uh, well, whether it was Babylon or or, or, um, whether it it was the king, I'll just leave it at that. You can read it on your own time. He began to release all of the gold and all of the silver and all of the, 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 the vessels that were taken when Jerusalem was besieged. And he began to release all of that and said, take it back to Jerusalem. And Ezra said, the men that went to go get those vessels, he said, it's going to be weighed when you leave Babylon. And he said, it's going to be weighed when you get to Jerusalem. And that just flew all over me in a good way. And I, I wrote it down from Babylon. When it left Babylon and when it came to Jerusalem, it was weighed again. And Ezra told them, watch on your journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. Watch and keep those vessels until you weigh them before the chief priests, the Levites, and the fathers. And what he was saying is that same Jesus that's in you, must be the same when you come to the end of this life as it was at your new birth. Did you hear me? He's saying, 
what you got when you first got saved, it needs to be as real and more pure or in a sense more uh, effectual and more fervent at the end of your life. You shouldn't have gotten better with God when He saved you, but become bitter at the end of your life. Paul said, don't judge anything before it's time. You know, in that context, it's, he's speaking of don't judge a person's deficiency in their early stages of their life because things can change and you never know what God's going to do in their life. There's people sitting in here 10, 15 years ago, nobody would have given a nickel for you, but today you're in ministry. God saved you, delivered you, you're on fire for God and you're here and you're doing something, but 10 years ago, somebody judged you as somebody that God could never use and never do anything with. But oh, how 10 years or 5 years or 15 years can change everything. I was sitting across the, 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 the table yesterday from a young man that God spoke expressly to me that he was going to use him in the ministry. Amen. And the more I heard of his history and his, his testimony and his life, the more I know now more than ever before that God is calling him and going to use him. But what he is today doesn't look very promising in the eyes of people. But I assure you this, one day he will preach the gospel. One day he will be used of God. Amen. He will, I promise you. One day, this young man who was abandoned by his mother and, and, and abandoned by his father and went through life being bullied and went through life with all of these things that happened in his life and had disappointment and rejection and abandonment after one, after the other, after the other, abuse, going through all kinds of things throughout his life. And, and, and I looked across the table and I said to this young man, I said, son, I want to tell you something. I said, don't ever forget there's a story behind every anointing. There's a story behind every anointing. Every relationship that has been restored, there's an anointing upon that couple's life that can speak to somebody, but there's a story. It didn't just happen. There was a story there. And I said, everything you've been through in your life has developed you to be a compassionate person that loves and is gracious and shows mercy and cares about the soul and the, the, the life of a, of a person. You care about them, son. And I said, God is going to anoint you and he's going to use you. I said, surrender your life completely to him. I go, be all in. Give God everything you've got. But all of that being said, today, you would say, he don't even know John 3.16. You don't know what God's going to do with him in a 10-year period, a 5-year period. But he's going to do something powerful. We read that scripture when Paul said, don't judge any person or anything before it's time. But don't think or judge that you can never become deceived in that you can lose your fire and steadfastness. We always preach that, don't judge that person that that's, you know, just seems like they have nothing to offer. There's nothing there. They're never going to become anything for God. Don't judge them because you don't know what God's going to do. On the flip side of that, 
A lot of times people think, you know what, I'm spiritual, I got it all together, and you know what, I've come a long way, baby, amen. You may have in Jesus' name, and I, 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 I'll say praise the Lord, he brought you a long way. But don't ever forget that Ephesus left their first love. The greatest church in the, in the history here uh, since the New Testament began in the book of Acts on and the Gospels on was the church of Ephesus. It was the largest church. It was the most prominent church. And it was the first one that God dealt with, Jesus dealt with. And he said, you've left your first love. You have stood against that which was false. You've, you've, you've stood against all of these things. You, you, you've been faithful in all of this. But you left your first love. See, we can become religious and we, become, we can become people that totally miss the whole mark of what God God has called us to be and do. The whole purpose of the gospel, the whole purpose of our ministry, it isn't about buildings or programs or, or, or functions. It's about lives. It's about people. It's not about a building. It's about people. And so uh, don't judge when he said don't think or don't judge anything before it's time. Just make sure that you realize that there can be deception in your life and you can lose your first, leave your first love rather. Moses was used mightily of God, but at the end of his life he disobeyed God. David was mightily used of God, anointed of God, but at the end of his life he numbered Israel. And he had the same, you know, mentality in that as Saul, King Saul did in numbering Israel. You look at uh, different other ones in the Bible. Jonah. You know, I always think about Jonah. Everybody always talks about Jonah. And, and they, they miss the fact that God thought he was a good enough prophet to send him to the worst nation on the earth at that time. He said, this man has been faithful. He's found himself faithful all his life. So now I'm going to send him to Nineveh to preach to an ungodly nation. And he said, I ain't going to do it. Anybody can change in time. I had somebody one time that was a family member of mine from back in Missouri. And they said, you know, for... 40 years, they've always been the sweetest, kindest, most loving person. They were always so approachable and they were always so, but they made a statement and it was like something changed. They're not the same person. What happened to that? That's what I'm preaching to you tonight. That's what I'm trying to drive home to you tonight. Let that not be us. Because we're living in a time when lawlessness abounds and the love of many waxes cold. Time reveals much about how sanctification comes about. The cleaning, the refining, the changing. Time. Time. Don't judge anything before it's time. Through the patient experience of life, James said in chapter 1, verse 4, he says it best, and I want to read it to you. James chapter 1, verse 4. He said, But let patience 
have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let God in your lifetime do something in your life so powerful that at the end of it, you will have a testimony. I still love Jesus. I still love people. I still have the same passion and compassion and love and heart for people. I didn't grow old and, and uh, you know, selfish. But I want to remain selfless and a servant unto God and unto people, His people. We cannot change for the worse but we must change for the better. That's what sanctification is all about. That's what conforming us to the image of Christ is all about because that's Christ. And if we are to be gracious like Christ, nothing that anybody does to us can change our grace towards them. Did you hear that? If we're to be like Christ, it doesn't matter what anybody does. If we're going to really truly be like Christ, nothing can change the way we feel about them and treat them. Now you say, but pastor, you know, there's people that act in certain ways and they're this way and they're that way and it's evident and what am I supposed to do with that? Let me tell you something. In Christ, grace, love, and mercy is not based on merit, right? It's not based on merit. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. We, we do not receive grace because of what we do to earn it from God. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. And that's the beauty of the blood and the cross. That's God's character. And God's character is beautiful. I mean, it is beautiful. To be constant in grace is not easy. But it's possible because God would not command what is not possible. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Peter 1.5, he says this. I love this scripture. This set me free one morning. He said, blessed, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope. In other words, he brought us from death to life through mercy and through what he did through the blood of Jesus and the cross unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His blood shed, washed away, and purchased and atoned for our sin. But His resurrected life gave us that life. See, you, you, it's not just being washed and being freed from that sin. Now we have to live unto God. Now we have to live this life unto God. And it's an it's a awesome life. It's a beautiful life. It's a joyful life. It's a happy life. Somebody that says, I'm a Christian, but I'm not happy. You need a dip at Calvary. You need to just get right with God. Because I can tell you, I'm happy. Amen. Amen. I'm happy. Amen. I'm thankful. Yeah, there's, praise God. Because, and, I, and really, you know, we, we talk about happiness. Happiness is based upon happenings. But really, it's the joy of the Lord. It's, it's that which God gives us that overrides and supersedes and goes beyond what is happening before us that would cause us not to be happy. So I got a flat tire. Praise God. Amen. I'm happy because I got a spare. <laughs> Praise the Lord. 
And if I don't have a spare, then God wants me to stay here. He's sparing me from something tragic. I went out to come to church, and I told everybody I'm going to be there at 6.30. And so I went out, and I'm like, I cannot find my keys. I don't even know why they give us a key. You don't even use it anyway. You push a button. I'll just put a code there and let you push a button. You got a button to open the door, and a but I got a new truck, so everything's new and fandangled, and I'm learning all about it. I said, I don't know. Do you have a manual? He said, sir, it's right here on the screen. I said, oh, great. Now I have to read this manual on the screen. Thank you. All of these things. I don't even know where I was going, but I'm trying to find my keys, and I'm looking all over, and I'm like, Oh my goodness, I went in the room and I thought I told him to be there at 6.30 and it's already, you know, 6.29 and here I am and I'm just like, oh my gosh. Ran back in the house, I'm running through, looking everywhere, my room, my, my den, my office. I'm going, oh my goodness, where? Retrace your steps. And God said, I'm sparing you from something. He said, your keys are where you left them. Where'd you leave them? And I thought, well, I thought I left them hanging up in there on that he said, go in there. They're in there. So I walked back in there, and I passed by there and looked at that. And I had them on a lanyard, and it's about that long. The keys weren't there. They were here. That's why I didn't see them. God said, I'm spared. He Just like that, he said, I'm sparing you from something. Maybe whenever I would have pulled out... If I had my keys right then, I would have pulled out at that red light and people zoom through there and they don't even stop. I've been hit almost, I've been almost T-boned probably five times. That's why I just wait there and wait there and wait there and look out there, make sure there ain't nobody coming. I'm not going to try to, you know, press the envelope. But here I am, I come in. He said, I'm sparing you from something. Rejoice. Be thankful. I'm a step ahead of you. Amen. Even when you get frustrated and you're like, ah, why is this happening? God said, I know you're getting mad, but you don't know what I'm doing. I've got your best interest at heart. But, oh, let me get back here. No matter what, oh, well, let me finish reading this. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept. This is a powerful scripture. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. How do you build your faith? Faith is a gift from God. But every day you go to your word, you're building yourself up on this most holy faith. Every time you pray, you're building yourself up in faith. You and I are kept by the power of God through faith. We, that's why it, that, it, church, there's a reason the devil don't want you to read your Bible. There's a reason the devil don't want you to pray. There's a reason the devil don't want you to go to church. That's why he stops you. He tries to make everything happen so you don't go to church. He stops you and gets you busy reading your, from reading your Bible. He stops you and gets you busy from praying. Because he knows all of those things are going to build up your faith. And you are kept by the power of God through faith. 
And so if you will begin to feed that faith, begin to feed it, begin to, uh, you know, as you read the Word, you're building yourself up. You're staying in the Word. God's speaking to you. He's talking to you. He's revealing things to you. You're building yourself up in that faith. And no matter what is done to us, we can never change our view of people and God building up that faith keeps that consistent. Believe me. Last year, Pastor Dave or Brother David Owen said I was this was my year of Jubilee last year. Coming into 2023 is beautiful. But I didn't know that with that Jubilee experience, there is the attack of hell to come against you. But not only that, but God has to make sure that He tries us and puts us through the furnace and brings us through pure on the other side. Because you don't know what you've really got down deep within you until you know how you're going to respond to a situation. That's the fire. No matter what is done to us, because we're talking about relationships, and I don't have a lot left here, but stay here with me for a few more minutes. No matter what is done to us, we can never change our view of people, especially the body of Christ. And we can know well that people are flawed, they're frail, they're carnal. We can see behaviors in them and see things in them, even as Christians. Let me just tell you something. We serve a perfect God, but ain't a one of us in here in our, our every, everyday life do we live a perfect, spotless life all the time. There are times we come from prayer and we love everybody. There's not anything in our, there's not, no, no impurity, no corruption. We love everybody. We love Jesus. We're in the Word. God's talking to us. We have a perfect day. I'm not going to say that there are not days like that. You know, people cut you off and you're like, Jesus, bless them. You know, you're there at Starbucks and you never give a tip ever. You know, because you're so tight, you'd make a buffalo squeak on a nickel. But you're like, you know what, I want to be a blessing today. And you put a little tip in that propina jar, you know. That's what they, that's what it's called, right? Little tip jar. Yeah, you're like, you know what, I want to be a blessing today. You're just having a perfect day. It's just wonderful. But then there's days that that's not the case. And things will happen and you're like, you know what? If I could just talk to them, I would give them a piece of my mind. I got something to say to them. Don't say it. Don't give them a piece of your mind. There won't be nothing left. Listen, we can know people are flawed, frail, carnal, and see that in their behavior and think, you know, God, they should know better. They should. Didn't Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? Stephen said, Lord, 
lay this not to their charge. Grace. We need to be gracious to people that are not everything that they're supposed to be. Because let me give you a newsflash. You're not either. I'm not either. We all are a work in progress. You know? And God can bring us to know better. And he will. He will. You know? I want to share something with you as I close. Jesus never changes. His love never changes. Because of our inconsistency or our unfaithfulness, he never changes. And we have to come to that place where we're like he is. Because there's things that you do not realize about yourself. And you may not know until a long time down the road. You know, I want to share something very personal with you and that's happened in my life. And maybe this will help somebody. And then I'll close. When I left my dad's church, you know, people are heartbroken whenever you leave. A lot of times we feel like nobody cares about me. They care. They care. And Lee Ship said, you know, if, if nobody seemed to care, maybe you didn't give them a reason to miss you. You know? But I left my dad's church, and I went on my way. I went to Pastor Duke's church, and I started in there, and I was the singer. I was the worship leader. I was at the highlight of my life. Loved my time there at Living Waters for six years. And then God spoke to me to leave. And I, I did. I left. I went to Pastor Duke. I talked to him and I left. And, but you know, down deep inside, I really didn't consider how a pastor feels when somebody leaves, especially their own family. My son and Francis, many of you know, they're in Kenya right now, but they're going to be moving sometime in the future. And you want to talk about something that I didn't realize was in my heart. And I laid in an altar many times, and I cried, and I wept, and cried, and wept. And I said, Lord, this is so painful. This is so hard. I've raised my boy from a baby up. He's been in ministry with me. We've been close and friends, and we're tight. And, and now you're taking him away. And the Lord said to me, now you know how your dad felt. Now you know how Pastor Duke felt. It took 23 years, but I revealed to you how somebody felt in a time in your life when the same thing happened to them but you were not even remotely aware 
I don't even want to say it was because I, I was a wicked person, but it's, it, it, I was moving on to, 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 to other things. And so I can't say that I was really troubled about it or cared about it to the degree that I, I thought, well, you know, the Lord will help them. You don't understand until you're there. Okay? And then all of these emotions. And I'm going to tell you, your pastor has laid in an altar. And God has done something so powerful in my life. You, you don't know until you've been there. As God puts you through the fire and he puts you through the, the furnace of trial and test. You don't know. And I just assure you, you may not always see it on the external. And I'm not here to say anything about me. I'm saying it about God. But he has turned my life upside down. He has turned me inside out. And, uh, and there's a whole lot more compassion in my life right now than I ever thought I had before. Because... That's what happens when he puts you through the fire. But he said time had to reveal that. There are people that go through things, and it doesn't make them better. They don't come through it better on the other side. They become bitter. And at the end of their Christian experience or the end of their life, sometimes, I, sometimes there's people that are not even saved. You say, Pastor. I'm going to tell you right now, there's people that are not even ready to make heaven their home. One time, some people may say, this is hard, Pastor, for you to say this, but the Lord spoke to me. And somebody said, you know, I just, I'm old, and I've got all these things, and, and, and I'm just, you know, I don't know why the Lord doesn't just take me. And I said, because you're not ready to go. God is trying to do something in you. And at the end of their life, there was a beautiful reconnection in faith and God's love. I'm just saying to you, church, don't start out on this road with this beautiful experience and allow the things of your life to bring you to a place where you become corruptible or there's corruption, I should say, not corruptible, but corruption down deep in your heart, in your spirit, your life. And when you should be, have been better, a sanctified individual, you become somebody that uh, there's corruption there. Don't let that be said of us. Paul said, I finished my course. I fought a good fight. I fought. I fought. I fought to keep. He didn't say this, but this is what he meant. I fought the devil. I fought the times to keep my heart pure. Because I can tell you everything's to try you and I to try to bring that corruption and that impurity. But to stay on your face and say, Lord, I'm just trying to keep my heart pure. I'm trying not to allow anger or these feelings to be so deep and just rise up within me that I'm like resentful. The Lord said, I'm doing something in you and you're going to come through on the other side. And I, my character is beautiful, Jonathan. It's beautiful. Lord, let us be of your character. Let us have your character. Let us be put through that fire to where 
all they see is Jesus. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ lives within me. Christ lives within me. Amen. I can say today that I'm so thankful that my, my children are used of God and they're in ministry. But I wrote Pastor Friday. I promise you I'm going to close. I wrote Pastor Friday and I said, my heart is broken. I said, I don't want any of my kids not to be here with me in ministry. And I said, please pray for me. You know, Pastor Friday, he's just a man of God. Sometimes you just need a spiritual father to sit down with you and just speak things to you that nobody else can say to you. And he said, Pastor Skiles, he said, Cameron is not leaving the faith. In fact, it is the greatest accredit to you and your ministry and your life that God would take him and use him outside of where he was started and been. And he said, God will fill the... He, he was speaking to me and confirming things that already was spoken to me, that God spoke to me. He said, God's going to fill that vacuum. And he said, he's going to put people in ministry. He's going to raise people up. And he said, he's not only going to use him, and there's going to be fruit from that ministry, but he's going to use other people and bring them. And you're going to watch. This is going to be the greatest blessing as you release him. You are releasing. And what you're doing, like that woman that had that meal, so I got a handful of meal. He said, give it to God. And your meal barrel will never run dry. We always look at that as only something material. But think about it whenever you release something, and it's hard to let your kids go. Come on now. You don't know till you've been there, so don't judge me. But it's hard. But God has given me so much grace. I promise you, I stand here today by the grace of God. I could not be here saying what I'm saying to you and be okay if it hadn't been for the grace of God. So you know what? I'm thankful today. He makes something beautiful out of our life. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer?